all the school teachers in the room or future school teachers should recognize the name Jean Piaget. Anybody recognize that from your education classes? He was a psychologist a hundred years ago, and he was the first one to do a comprehensive study of child development. How do we grow and learn from a psychological standpoint? How does a child learn and develop? How does our mind grow and how does our personality grow? He published a lot of works that are the authoritative texts for education and how children grow and learn. And I just want to boil down one of his lessons one of his studies to how kids learn to play or do anything first of all an infant or a toddler or a young child does what they're told how to do something whether it's use a spoon or spell or play baseball when we're a young child we do what we're told and we have no idea what we're doing we're just doing we're just copying somebody else that we've seen or we're just doing what mom and dad or the coach say. And so we, we begin to play or to draw or whatever, not having a clue what we're doing. We're just following instruction or copying somebody else's model. Then we begin to learn that there's actually rules to the game we're playing or to spelling or to making uh, you know an, a toddler learning to walk there's there's a way to actually do this and there are rules to this and if i do it right it works and if i don't it doesn't and we begin to learn the rules and the fundamental skills of the game and then we pra- then we enter the practice stage where we're just practicing practicing learning all the rules uh, how to do it how to do it over and over and over again we practice and then as a kid gets older and more experienced in whatever it is th- they learn they can make up their own rules which doesn't mean we can change the rules of spelling or the rules of baseball, but it means I can create my own style. I can do this so well that I do it with style. I suppose that most of you have been on a little, little kid's baseball field, a t-ball or coach pitch or whatever, and the, and the little kids have no idea what they're doing, right? And there's seven or eight parents out on the field directing traffic. Somebody hits the ball and nobody knows where to go and they're running out in the outfield and you have to tell each kid where to throw the ball. You have to tell them which base to run to next, right? Y'all are laughing and smiling. You know what I'm talking about. It's hilarious fun to watch. If you are a perfectionist, it is really annoying to watch. You just want to pull your hair out. Like, ah, this is utter chaos. And it is, it is, it's terrible chaos. But uh, they're just, they're, they're, they have no idea what they're doing. They're just going where they're told to go and doing what they're told to do. But as they grow older and they get into greater levels of Little League, or, and you can apply this to any game you want, soccer or football or whatever, then, then they begin to kind of understand what they're supposed to do. They're practicing their skills of swinging and catching and throwing and, you know, they, they understand what it means to run the bases and what it means to score and, and then there's years and years of development, just developing the skills and understanding the more complex rules that we add as they get older, right? When they're, when they're six and eight, they're not playing by all the rules that the Major League Baseball plays by, you know, and, and same thing with soccer and, and all of that. So 
they're, they're practicing and, and they're learning their fundamental skills and they're doing the drills and, and they're learning all the rules. And, and then, you know, eventually they're, they're in high school ball and then college ball and then the pros. And by the time, you know, you get to major league, then, then those guys, they're, they're making the game their own. I mean, they, I don't mean that they can fundamentally change the rules, but, but they have a style. You know, there's a pitcher that has a certain pitch, and there's a hitter that has a certain hit, and there's, there's just guys that are just stars. And they're playing so far above the rules. I don't mean breaking the rules. They're still within the framework, or they wouldn't be pros. But they're, just, they're not even concerned with the basics or the rules anymore. It's just, how good can I be? Hello? That's, that's how we develop as humans. And it, this pattern applies to anything. So it's baseball, but it's learning to speak. It's learning to spell. It's paddling a boat. It's playing a musical instrument. It's pinochle. Now we're teaching our kids pinochle, and they're just putting cards down because we told them to. You know, they don't have, at first, they don't have a clue what they're doing. You know, and you've learned to play a card game or a board game where you're lost. Your friend's like, this is the coolest game ever. I'm like, I am totally lost. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just doing it because you're telling me to do it. All right, so then, you know, but then we begin to catch on the rules and the form and, and what the goal is of, of the game and how do I win this thing? How do I do well? And then over time we practice and practice and then, and then we begin to make it our own. And even like even with cards and board games, your family ha- probably has family monopoly rules, <laughs> right, that are not in the official rule book, but it's how you play because collectively you have come to the realization that, that as long as we all agree, we can play this however we want. Yeah. Right? We've mastered the basics, now we can make it our own. Yep. Right? You go to somebody else's house, you had to play by their pinochle rules. <laughs> right? you know, whatever the game or the skill or the hobby or even your occupation, you began by taking instruction by copying someone else without really knowing what you're doing. And then you began to catch on and the what and the how and the why of of what it is you're doing, and then you began to develop and practice your skills, and pretty soon it becomes muscle memory, and, and then you learn to control the activity at a masterful level, and you can play your instrument without thinking. You can play the game without thinking too much, and you're playing above the rules. You just, I don't, again, I, I never mean outside the rules. You know, so in basketball, a guy like Michael Jordan or Larry Bird or Stephen Curry they can't ever break any rule, but they create the game as they play. They do. They're, they're absolute masters with the ball of dunks and presses and patterns and misdirections and dribbling. And they, they are not at all concerned with what are the rules because that's so far below their level. Again, they can't cheat, can't break a single rule, but... They're not thinking and focusing on the basics. They're making it beautiful. It's jaw-dropping to watch Stephen Curry play ball. It really is. I'm not a basketball fan, but my son loves it so much that I have become one because I love watching him, and he likes Stephen Curry and the Trailblazers also. He listens to Trailblazers on the radio most every night, and, and we just, I don't know, we talk basketball now, and I know more than I did before he started playing. Uh, uh, I'm not shaped for basketball. I played football. <laughs> I played football. I tried basketball in seventh grade, and it did not go well. But, you know, my, my son is pretty good. And so we talk basketball. And so I can appreciate 
the artistry and the beauty of what some of those NBA players are accomplishing. They're so smooth and so deceptive in their passes behind the back or through the legs or a fake pass and it, you know juking the guy and then they're up uh, at the basket. It's just it's amazing and they paid a serious price to get to the level that they're at. They practiced and practiced and practiced the fundamentals. They have to know every rule, every scenario of what to do when it's this many fouls and this much time on the clock and where the ball's coming in on this side of the court or that end of the court. And they, they have to know the rules inside and out. But they're not thinking about them when they're playing because they're so far above that. Yeah? Your mu- uh, music instruments, you know, it's the same way. I can still remember my very first piano lesson. Third grade, I was really excited, I was very nervous, piano lessons were $3 for a half hour lesson back then. Can you believe that, parents? Way back then. So I went to my piano lesson in third grade, and my teacher taught me where middle C was. Oh, that's louder than I expected. And, and there, I still remember the very first song that I learned in third grade. C B A C B A This is how we learn to play. <laughs> it's the only thing that stuck with me. <laughs> and so I came home as a third grader and I thought I could play the piano. I was just copying what my teacher told me. Here, play this, these notes in this order. But I thought, as a third grader, I thought I'm making music. <laughs> Technically it is. But my point is, I'm just copying what somebody else did. I'm, I'm, I'm just doing what I'm being told. I know nothing. Right? But I'm doing it successfully. I'm playing music. So then, you know, we enter the next stage of practice, and we have to Learn the fundamentals and the skills. We've got to learn rhythm and counting and finger placement and scales and keys and time signatures and all of the intricacies of the rules of music. Plus, you have to learn your specific instrument, your fingering on the sax or the slide placement on the trombone or frets on the guitar or not frets on the violin or you know, just whatever it is. You've got to learn your instrument and you also have to learn the rules, which is music. How to read it, how to count it, how to play it. Because in music, you cannot violate a single rule. Right? But then, so years of practice, drill and practice and, and, and exercises and arpeggios and scales. And, and then some people emerge on the other side of that as masters. They're, they have developed their own style. So when I say they're making their own rules, I don't mean, I mean, in music, you cannot violate a single rule, or it sounds terrible, but the masters, when they're playing on violin or piano or guitar, they're not thinking about the fundamentals. They're creating. Yes? They're they're creating beauty, and they're, they're playing so much more than what's on the sheet. And they're making the music their own, and they're adding trills, and they're hanging on some notes longer than others. They're syncopating their, their, their guitar riff that's improvised, or the drum solo, or the piano scale, and run up and down the keys, and whatever. You can't break a single rule, but within the rules, 
of whatever that song is, the time signature and the, and the key, you can do whatever you want. You're completely free to create beauty and make it your own. So that's what jazz and blues are, is we provide a basic foundation with the drums and the bass, and then the piano goes to boogie in, and the guitar goes to Waylon, and the people that can play that kind of stuff without written music are really good. They've practiced a lot, and again, they're playing above the rules. They're within the rules, but they're not that's not what they're thinking about is each note. And music as a whole over the last three, four hundred years has done this, where when Bach and Beethoven and Mozart wrote music, there's some really wild stuff, particularly in Bach, but every note is on the page. But now you can play the same thing with just a chord sheet and that musicians improvise it. They can play the wild improvisations and solos and chord progressions but it's just it's just the name of the chord on the sheet it was like this is the chord we're playing at this moment and it used to be that it was really rigid and strict and box music for his day was the heavy metal of his day i mean it was wild flying all over the organ it's called a fugue if you know your music history so box stuff was was intense it scared people they went to church and they heard this guy pounding on the organ. <laughs> you know, but, but every note was written out. But now we don't do that. We just, we just play around and for, you know, for the most part. So we, learn, we begin by doing what we're told, just copying somebody else, not knowing what we're doing. We begin to catch on about the purpose and the why and the how and the what. And, and then it's just drill and practice, drill and practice, drill and practice, lessons and lessons and lessons and lessons. And then eventually, if you work hard enough, people on, emerge on the other end good enough to make it beautiful. You've got kids in music lessons, you know it starts out pretty not beautiful. And then eventually, you get some beauty in your house. But there's a, there's a level beyond beauty. There's a level beyond mastery. There's a level beyond just um, being really good. There, what makes somebody a genius or a master? Whether we're talking about ice skating or motocross or snowboarding or guitar or skateboarding or a gymnast or a woodworker. A genius or a master is somebody who has so mastered the fundamentals that they make it beautiful. And again, in music, it has to be completely technically correct but then they can play around with it and make it beautiful. Ice skaters can do their choreography and the prescribed spins and jumps, and I have no idea the difference between a Lutz and a Sow Cow, but they do triple as of them, whatever that is. But, you know, there's, there's some that can do it, and then there's some that are just movingly beautiful you know, the snowboarder or the motocross rider that can do spins and flips, but then there's some just like, wow, that was just perfect. That was awesome. And the professionals and the Olympians, they paid a price of practice and self-discipline to get where they're at. So they've mastered it, but that's not the same thing as a champion. A ma- somebody who's mastered something is not the same thing as a champion. Because a champion goes beyond perfection into chaos. 
and we've come full circle uh, back to the beginning. Let me give you this example of what I mean. Think of a gymnast or an ice skater, the sports where somebody gets judged and they get a number based on how good they did, right? So you've seen it on the Olympics or something. Hopefully you know what I'm talking about in gymnastics or, or ice skating. Somebody goes out and does a near-perfect routine, 9.8, 9.8, 9.8, 9.8, across the board. And that girl is now number one. She's top-ranked. She's in charge. There's, there's no way to be more perfect than she was, she was already perfect. But you're the girl that's got to go out after her and do your routine. I'm talking about the Olympics or the world championships of ice skating or gymnastics. What, do, what does the next girl have to do? She has to literally put her neck on the line. She's not shooting for perfection. She has to go to the very uttermost edge of complete disaster and stick her landing. I, I'm not, 9.7, 9.8 is near perfection. Perfection is not good enough. I have to go out and do so many flips and spins that I either stick my landing and win the world championship or I break my neck. There is no in the middle. That's what makes a champion. Is that I am all in this and I die or I win. You can't beat perfection with perfection. You have to beat perfection by, will, by risking everything. Some of you are already on to where I'm going with this. You were wondering where Jesus was in all of this. How is this Easter? Uh-huh. Now some of you are beginning. It's dawning. I see the look on your eye, in your eye. Yeah. You cannot beat perfection with perfection. You have to beat perfection by putting your life on the line. I am going to die or I am going to win it all. There is nothing in between. You've seen maybe some terrible disasters in gymnastics or ice skating. And Okay, so I don't mean you're not going to die in ice skating. But I mean you could totally choke and wipe out and you're going to get no score. If the girl who has set the bar at 9.8 is in first place, I don't care if I get 9.6. I have to get 9.9. Or I might as well get a two. Hello? I'm not shooting for perfection. I'm shooting for risk it all. I mean, go big or go home. You've seen the motocross rider maybe that does the front flip, and it's the greatest ever. And he's either going to land it or he's going to break his neck. You know, or the evil evil kind of stuff. Or if you're into motorcycles at all, you've maybe heard of the Isle of Man TT. Those road racers that they are on the uttermost edge of chaos and they are going to win or they're going to be out of the race. I, I don't care if I get second place or sixth place. I'm either going to total my bike or I'm going to win. That's the mentality that these guys have. And again, it's like Sean White. He, everybody else can do what they do and then he, and then he hits the... The tube, and it's just my, it's just mind blowing what he, what he can do on that snowboard and in in music. It's you know you can you can see where on the piano or the violin or the guitar where some people can get playing so fast and crazy and wild, and you just think 
if they miss one note, this is a disaster. But they're just, you know, that guy's just pounding the piano or the violin strings are smoking or the guitar strings are smoking. And like, that's amazing. That's, and they, they emerge from this chaos and it ends up being something beautiful. It's, it's absolutely beautiful to watch Jordan or Curry handle the ball in a great game. They've got amazing skills and moves. They create beauty with the ball. They are masters. They're geniuses. They can never break a single rule. And if you're a defender on the court against them, you're going to get schooled. They're going to play in a different world, a different game, a different set of rules than regular basketball. But when Stephen Curry has a perfect game and the Warriors lead the other team by 20 or 30 points all night long, it's boring. Perfection is boring. I said perfection is boring. I don't care to watch a game where one team slaughters the other the entire game and this guy, maybe he sets his personal scoring record or whatever, it doesn't matter. They can have a perfect on night, so good the other team is behind the whole time. But perfection and talent are not what's interesting. What makes us stand up and scream and even cry is where they come from behind. Where you're about to lose it. Time is running out, guys. Get your head in the game. And all of a sudden there's a last second half court shot that swishes in. And everybody in the crowd, what do they do? They're jumping up, they're screaming, ripping their shirts off, falling to the knees, crying. And the bitch clears and there's a confetti and music blasting and there's a celebration because that was interesting. That was championship. That was beyond perfection. That was, we almost lost it. But we won. What makes us celebrate and stand up is that on the edge of disaster in chaos and tension and stress and heartbreak they use those perfect skills and they win it's an indescribable feeling to cheer for an athlete or a team or a musician or a racer who's doing something that's literally unbelievable i don't know how many of you have been so excited or happy that you almost passed out but you might know that feeling where you just get so into it that it's, it's an out-of-body experience. It's delirium. Well, yeah, and what do we do? We jump up, we fall to our knees, we shout, we applaud, we cry, we smile. And then us, those of us in the crowd, what do we do? We turn to each other. Did you see that? Unbelievable! How did he do that? How did they pull that out? Right? Right? What is that? It's praise. Praise in its simplest definition means to tell somebody they did great. And when the guys are falling on their knees and ripping their shirts off and putting their arms up in the air, that's worship. I don't mean that in a negative sense, although some people do idolize sports. But we praise the ones who do the impossible and the dramatic, the unbelievable, the shocking. But the guy who's out there playing a perfect game, but there's no drama... There's no shouting and screaming. and I mean, there's applause. And it's nice to see somebody do well. 
but it isn't nearly as engaging as somebody who comes from behind. Somebody on the ultimate edge of disaster, they finish their race with their tires on fire or something, you know. That's what you want to see, is the, the person overcoming adversity and disaster. So, let's talk about your life. When you were a youngest toddler, you were just mimicking mom and dad, learning how to handle a spoon and how to walk and how to speak. And you begin to learn to crawl and walk and eat, and you begin to be taught the rules. You're taught no, and you're taught obey, and you're taught morality, don't lie and don't steal, and you're taught the rules of social behavior, don't scream, don't throw a fit, don't, you know, how to eat with a spoon without getting it all over your face, and how to take a bath and smell good for the rest of us, and how to treat the pet, you know, table manners and interaction skills, and then you go to school and you get taught all the rules of spelling and all the rules of math and all those other stuff, and and then you, you're playing sports, and you, our whole life is learning rules and learning skills and boundaries and limitations. And then at some point in your teenage years, you began to realize that just ahead of you is, ah, there's not too long now, and I'm going to get to make my own rules. I get to call the shots. I get to be the master of this thing. I get to decide what I'm going to do. And there's an infinite number of ways I can play this game. That adulthood freedom thing, you know, I can live where I choose and I can work where I choose and I can go to bed at whatever time I want and I can eat whatever I want and I can pick the person I want to be in relationship with and, and all of that. But then we're smacked with the, uh, the opposite side of the coin of freedom, which is responsibility, you know, finances and babies and time and all those things that we have to manage. And there, there is a real beauty in watching a teenager or somebody who's in their 20s find out who they are, right? They come out from under mom and dad's direction and boundaries, and, and with some of them, there's a beauty. Some of them, there's not. But with some of them... Like, wow, that's really cool to see who you became and how you styled yourself and what you want to do with your education and your, your career and, and your faith and all of this. And there, there's a beauty and a freedom of self-expression in, in that time, but there's also chaos of responsibility, time and bills and school and friends and family and church and volunteering and babies and car payments. And, and right in there, we all lived through it or you're going to, is that that crisis decision in there is, am I going to practice? Am I going to self-discipline? Am I going to do what it takes to do this right? Am I, am I going to work it right? Or am I going to rebel against the rules? You're totally free to choose and to act. You're going to have to master the rules and the fundamentals of life in order to have a beautiful life. If you're going to fight the rules, you're never going to master the basics, and it's going to be ugly and difficult and painful. I had a man in the church once tell me a lifetime of drugs in prison, and he told me in his 40s that he just realized where it all went wrong. He said, it was when I was 15, and my parents told me that over and over that when I was 18, I could do whatever I wanted. 
said, so I got the idea that adulthood and turning 18 was freedom, and I could do whatever I wanted. So I did whatever I wanted, and it was an absolute disaster. It was a revelation to him, and it was really a good lesson for me to hear, too. You know, I just can't wait till I turn 18 and I can do what I want. Well, that's not real life. If you want to master something, you've got to be self-disciplined, and you've got to learn the fundamentals and play within the rules. The truth is your life is not your own. You're free to choose, but you are actually answerable to your family and your parents, your children, and society for how you choose to behave. If I could narrow it down, the most important basic fundamentals are obeying God with sex, work, alcohol, drugs, and money. If all of us would just do what God says in those areas, the world would be a vastly different place. Vastly different. God is cheering you on. He's watching with great joy as you move from limitation and forced obedience to mastering the skills of life yourself and choosing the right things of your own free will. He sees the beauty that you're creating by choosing to obey Him and live right. And then chaos and disaster happen. We feel our lives are out of order. There's chaos. We're too busy. There's tragedies and defeats and heartbreaks and diseases and disappointments and health problems and car wrecks and financial disasters and lost loved ones. And we think, I could never win this thing now. Nothing I thought when I was 19 has come true. I'm way too far behind. I am too old. It hasn't worked out. It isn't going to work out. I'm here to tell you, God likes a come from behind victory. God is bored watching you try to be perfect. It's boring. It's frustrating. He likes a come from behind victory. I'm serious. God loves a dramatic victory. God is up in heaven saying, did you see that? After all she has been through, she did the right thing anyway. Come on. Did you see that forgiveness? Wow. Selflessness and love and graciousness, serving and giving. After all that's happened, her heart is still soft. After all she did to him, he forgave her anyway. God loves to come from behind victory. He's up there shouting, He won! She won! At the last minute, she pulled it out! She made the game-winning shot! She stuck her landing! Come on! God is not interested in watching you try to be perfect. He wants a dramatic ending. Give Him one. You can stick your landing. You can make the game-winning shot. You can do it. Heaven is cheering you on out of chaos and defeat into victory and righteousness and order and safety and peace and joy. You know that the most exciting and moving and inspiring testimonies of Christian faith are not people who get up and tell how easy their life was and how perfect they are. Who does that? No, We are moved by faith champions who were not the ones that got it all perfect. It's the ones who came from behind to win. The ones who had to overcome adversity. 
An opponent like cancer or alcohol or hatred or prostitution or heroin or persecution or adultery or anger. That's who makes us stand up and cheer. Yes! You were defeated, but you pulled it out. In the end, you came through. God saved you. It's the dramatic ending that we love. So let's talk about Jesus this morning. Let's talk about God's development of himself in humanity. In the book of Genesis, we have humanity's infancy, where it's actually 3,000 years is covered in the book of Genesis. And God does not give any rules. He doesn't expect much other than that Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph will just obey him. Just do what I say. He's parenting them. It's humanity's infancy. Then, and it, there is no rules, there are laws. It's just God saying, obey me. Do this and don't do that. And he, they're just taking instruction. But then with Moses, we get humanity begins to figure out there's some rules. Right? There's, God gives us laws and rules to abide by. And the Jews were, the Israelites were, very, very careful to practice all of those rules. So much so that we get to the Pharisees in Jesus' day, twelve or 1,400 years after Moses, and they know every nitpicky rule, and they've created thousands more. It's like the boys in the Sandlot baseball team who are going to take their glove and their ball and go home if you don't play by exactly every one of the rules. You've seen the pouty boys you know and that's the pharisees they're so concentrated on the rules that they miss the point of the game but jesus came along and he said you know what the rules are so important i'm here to dot every i and cross every t not one single rule is going to be canceled but i'm here to tell you we're here to play above the rules We're here to master this thing. We're here to create some beauty. We're here to create some artistry. We're here to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and know you may not break a single rule, but the rules are not the point. Winning is the point. So how did Jesus do that? He said, well, you've heard about the rule of no adultery. I tell you, we're going to play so far above that, you can't even look with lust. You've heard about the rule, don't murder somebody. I'm telling you, we're going to play so far above that that uh, you can't even have hatred in your heart. Right? You've heard about the law of gravity. We're literally going to play again above that rule. We're going to walk on water. You've heard about the rule of water is water. Well, we're going to make it into wine. We're going to play the game. The Old Testament law was you cannot touch a leper or you will get leprosy. Jesus came touching all the lepers and healing them. What's the point? He's not breaking the law. He's playing above the rules. Like the point of God's law is so that you won't get sick. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that not only will you not get sick, you're going to heal the leper. We're going to play above the rules here. Going to make you the Michael Jordans of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to multiply food. We're going to, we're going to play a beautiful game. We're going to love, we're going to forgive, we're going to lay down our own lives, we're going to preach the gospel. Not breaking any rules, but not thinking about the rules. Just learn them and go on. It's not the point. Stay within the rules, but let's live above them. 
there's so much more to a game than the rules. And then Jesus comes to his moment of crisis in the garden. I am free to choose how I want to design my life. But my father is telling me I have to go to the cross tomorrow. Do I really want to do that or not? Am I going to pay the price to get to the next level? And Jesus is our champion, not because he was perfect. It is because he risked everything, and he stuck his landing. Jesus' perfection is actually depressing and condemning, if that's all that we had to focus on. He had to be perfect. It's a factual truth and a factual requirement But the fact that he's perfect just points out the fact that I am not. And I get depressed. And I'm very glad that he was perfect. But when we see into the window of heaven, the angels are not cheering him because he was perfect. They're cheering him because he was the lamb who was slain. At the cross, there had never been a greater disaster. There had never been a loss of more universal cosmic proportions. And I don't know that the Bible says a whole lot about it, but I can imagine that all of heaven was pretty stunned to silence. God did not save him. I'll bet the angels were in jaw-dropped, stunned, Heartbreak. I can't believe it. God always comes through in the last moment. But he didn't. But then three days later, when all hope was lost, when all reason and rationality would say, there is no hope, it's over, Jesus lost. He was killed. He's dead and gone. Nobody comes back from that. He stuck his landing. He showed back up. He won. The greatest victory that has ever been won. Not because he was perfect, but because he risked it all. He put his neck on the line and he went to the uttermost edge of disaster. He went beyond disaster into hell and came back. I don't even know how it's legal, but he made the game winning shot three days after the clock was over. I don't even know how you work that out. And what we get in scripture is Revelation 5. John says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders, the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. Thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. 
And we've heard that this story so much of the, the crucifixion, the resurrection. I, you know, I read that scripture a lot in Revelation 5 of the scene at the throne where they're worshiping the lamb who was slain. I just want to point out again that they're not worshiping the lamb who was perfect. He is, but that's not what they're shouting. That's not why they're worshiping him. You are the spotless lamb. You're the perfect one. You're the one that obeyed perfectly. No, you're the one who laid down your life. You're the one who risked it all. You put your neck on the line. You are the greatest champion ever. So when we hear these things and we sing these things, they end up being so familiar and we put them to nice music and it comes out as, worthy is the lamb who was slain. This is utter chaos. In heaven, the angels are ripping their robes off and screaming and dropping to their knees. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? He's back. He survived. He won. And the the four living creatures are over there. Amen. amen. No. Amen means, at its basic, amen means yes. No, the four living creatures are, yes, yes, yes. He's back. He's alive. He defeated death. Sorry if you're a guest with us this morning. I usually don't do this either. (laughs) Utter pandemonium. This is the greatest victory ever. And we come into church and we sing familiar songs and we read these verses and give Jesus a golf clap. (laughs) Oh, come on. Come on. And when Isaiah saw three seraphs shouting the glory of the Lord, it's shaking the pillars of heaven. Imagine the entirety of heaven. Every angel, millions of angels screaming. He won! He pulled it out. He did it. It is the greatest victory ever. Not because he was perfect, but because he risked it all. And I'm either going to stick this or I'm going to die. And he stuck it. He put his faith in the Father. Scripture says that you will not let me see corruption. He knew God was going to raise him from the dead. I'm literally going to die here. And I, I have to stick my faith in God to stick this landing. Amen. 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 Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb. Can we have the worship team? Why don't you stand up and let's, let's celebrate with heaven. Come on. Come on. Let's give Jesus the applause and the praise that he deserves.